part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. You know, sometimes, guys, wonderful set this morning, wonderful leading us in worship. You know, sometimes uh, the worship is, is just really good, maybe because I love those three songs that you just feel like... Uh, one day the pastor is going to stand up after a worship like that and say, okay, guys, no message today. Well, that's not going to happen this day, but it could happen one day. You can live in anticipation of that, that one day we're just going to worship and just continue on. But this morning we are going to open up to First Peter chapter 1 and kind of continue on. Let me bring you up to date if you were not here uh, last week. Just a real quick connection from last week since we go verse by verse we kind of want to make sure that we know the context that we're coming into when we stopped last week we saw that god had called us into a life of holiness there's a call for christians to be holy now we realize that we're never going to be perfect until we meet that day of perfection but yet he has called us into this life where truly as he is holy that we're just to ascribe that more and more every day looking more and more like Christ. That's what Romans 8.29 says, that, you know, that it's just more and more we're going to be made in the image of Christ. And so there's this process of sanctification going on, but during this time there's this call into holiness. And we begin to see that uh, I, I used those two words last week, and I, well, again, I hope that you take them in, in the right context, the indicatives and the imperatives of the Bible, because the whole New Testament, really the whole Bible, but especially the New Testament, is written in indicatives and imperatives. And you don't have to worry all the fancy words about memorizing all the fancy words, but remember the truth. Anything that God has called us to do is predicated, is built upon what Christ has already done. That's that's really, you don't have to worry, you know, big theological words or anything like that. Just know that whenever the Bible says, therefore, do this, there's never this thing where it says, okay, you just be a better human being. It's always predicated, it's always built upon something that Christ has accomplished. And because Christ has done this through his victory, now he is now calling you into this action, this thought, this following, whatever it might be. Last week it was a following into holiness. This week we're going to see that there's another call that's there. And that this call is not only to be holy, but to grow. It's one of those things that we just kind of, in real life, in natural life, not so much spiritual life, we just expect things to grow. We expect especially people to grow. Uh, how many of you as parents have expectations that one day, if you have little kids right now, that one day they are going to grow up? And, you know, you know, if you have toddlers right now, if you have infants, if you have different ones, they're going to grow. And there's going to be marks of maturation along the point. There's going to be a time that, uh, do you remember, parents, when your kids were young and when they slept through the night for the first time? There's like a really cool time. You know, there was a mark of maturity. Maybe it didn't last that long. Maybe it was just one night and, you know. But, but, you know, then there finally was a pattern that you could put the child in bed, whether that was a couple months or whether that was when the child was maybe one and one and a half or whatever, 16, you know, that you could put them in bed and hopefully they would sleep through the entire night and you could also get some rest at that time. That was a mark of maturity. There's times when they uh, learn to feed themselves. 
And that was kind of a big thing that, you know, even though they were kind of messy at first, it wasn't perfect. They got more on the floor than they did, you know, in their stomachs. But yet there was a mark of maturity because it's like they're using a fork or a spoon or whatever it is. Uh, Remember when they were fully potty trained? That was a big one, wasn't it? It's like, when is this time ever going to come? And it was almost impossible. Did you ever do this? Did you ever ask other parents when their child was potty trained? Especially like on your first one. Okay, he's five. Shouldn't he be potty trained by now? You know, and you were kind of fearful because you're going, okay, I'm not so sure that by this point in time, and so you wanted kind of not only a mark of maturity, that they were now potty trained and they knew how to kind of go to the bathroom or tell you when they needed to go to the bathroom, but you even wanted to know that it kind of compared to other people. You know, is one and a half? Is that kind of early? Is two and a half? Is that kind of average? Is five and a half, is that kind of late? And you wanted to have these marks of maturity, and you find out that other people said, especially if they have multiple children, those are always the best people to ask. Because they can clearly tell you, well, we had one that it was two years old, the other one was two, you know, this many months, this many months, and we had one that, man, the late bloomer and kind of, you know, was three years old or three and a half or four or whatever. And and you were able to say, okay, look, it's different for each person. So even though it's a mark of maturity and it's something that you're looking forward to as a parent, it was one of those you realized that there was kind of a range there of what was normal and what was abnormal. God never puts something upon us as Christians and says, okay, unless you do this, 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 and this, you just don't... When God calls us to grow, there are marks of maturity that he desires by his word to see in our life. He said, man, as you're walking along in Christianity, more and more I want you to look like your son, my son. What does that look like? What's going to look different the way you live your life and the way you think, the way you treat other people? There's going to be all these different marks of maturity. But guys, listen, none of us mature at the same rate. Would you agree with that? Again, if you have multiple children, that's the best test case. I I promise you that different children, if you have more than one child, if you have two children, then you know that, okay, yeah, this was 24 months, this was 25 months. And even though there's a similarity there, you can say, but they're not exactly the same. So the one thing I don't want you to do this morning is say, okay, everybody, you know, by the time I was a Christian for two years, I was doing this. Well, good for you. You know, I'm glad that you had that kind of maturity, and that's good, and and we'll applaud you, and we'll pat you on the back, but realize that grace and patience as we're growing, at the same time, I don't want to so belittle this call to growth that it really kind of gets away from this biblical model that, folks, we are supposed to be growing. And if you've been a Christian for 30 years, and yet you really, as we look at some of these marks of maturity, and you really don't see yourself any farther along than you were 30 years ago, that is abnormal. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to be biblical. That would be abnormal. And so nobody's going to hit the... Here's what you should have so far. Nobody's going to hit the marks at the same time. But when you're really where, you know, way off on particular things, then, then you have to really be honest with yourself, evaluate yourself, and say, why am I not growing in this mark of maturity? Again, Every one of these marks of maturity that we'll get into in the Word this morning, do not make you a Christian. This is the fruit of Christ in your life. Okay? Like holiness last week. You don't start trying to become holy and then you become a Christian. 
because you achieved a certain level of holiness. No, because you are a child of the living God and he is holy, then you should be taking on those attributes of holiness. More and more you should be thinking grace. More and more you should be thinking pure. You should be doing all these things that would be ascribed to holiness because that's your dad and you want to be like your dad. With that in mind, we begin to look into the word this morning. And we're not going to find those marks of maturity like you would find in a, in a person's, you know, in, in a child's life, that first sleepover. That was a big, you know, remember that when they were able, their first camp, um, driving a car for the first time? Those are big, really big, going off to college. Wow. You know, some of you are not there yet, and you're going, okay, man, I, I hope that that's going, that's going to be a hard thing to see this growth and see my child go away and drive away and kind of wave. But we know that it's a natural thing. And all these different marks of maturity. I, th- I think one of those things that, that Carly and I have noticed now that both girls are married and uh, kind of settling into, the, you know, a lot of those things that I worried about, those marks of maturity, well, they're never going to be able to clean their own house. Look at their room. Look at their room. And, you know, now they have nice homes that are, you know, not fancy, fancy, but they're well decorated. They're clean. You don't have to worry about, should I eat off of this plate? You know, you can, you can test at all those things. Somehow they grew. But I promised you, how many of y'all have children that you, if you looked in their room this morning, you would begin to wonder, would they ever be able to have a home of their own? Yeah. So we realize that these are steps. Okay, you got that mindset now. Aren't you glad that God is patient, patient with us, that he gives grace in, in this growing process. So, so we begin to look. Uh, I've, I've identified, I'm not saying these are the only ones. Uh, I'm not saying that you can use different verbiage. But here's three marks of maturity that we find in this passage. As he calls us into holiness, now he calls us into growing as a Christian. And, and Peter is just putting it out there. And the first thing that he says, okay, if you truly are, because he even uses the phrase later on in the passage, if you truly are in Christ. I mean, he comes back and says, okay, if you don't find these marks, you've got to ask yourself. And he's not being cruel. He's not being judgmental. He's just saying, this is kind of what Christians do. And so if you don't see some substance of this and, and some growing here, you need to ask that fundamental question. Are you really a Christian? He doesn't say in those terms, but he really points it out that way. So here's the first thing. He says, a sign of our mark of maturity is a growing reverence for God. Look at verse 17. A growing reverence for God. Now, reverence is not a word that we use a whole bunch anymore. It's not a word that's really in our society. And in fact, the trait of reverence really isn't in our society a lot anymore. Would you agree, and I'm not trying to be critical, and I'm tr- not trying to be Debbie Downer or anything like that this morning, but would you agree that we are more and more an irreverent culture? Just by the nature. Even as Christians, do you think that sometimes that we're more and more of a reverent type of people, that the culture has so affected us or that we have not affected the culture, that there's just not a lot of reverence anymore, respect, all at those of position. But that's what he begins to say in verse 17. He says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves With fear. Now, in some translations, it's going to say with reverence. That's where I get that. Fear, reverence, the same thing. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. 
He says, okay, you're exiled here. This is not your home. Your real home is with God. It's in heaven. But you're here now. This is your kind of your present state, and you're exiled here. Last week we talked about the difference between an immigrant, a tourist, and an exiled. We're, we're considered exiled here. Not as punishment, but this is where we live until that glorious day that we just said about. He said, as you're here, you should be growing more and more, conduct yourselves with fear, with reverence to this God that we serve. You know in Philippians chapter 2, when it says, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Now, is that just the Christians or is that everybody who has ever lived human life? Okay, that's not going to be a point of salvation for them, but why would they do that? And, and I'm not asking rhetorically. Somebody, why do you think when it talks about that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, why do you think that one day everybody who has ever lived human life, going back in all the fullness of history, why do you think that will happen? Okay, we're, we're going to stand before him. And what will it be that, I mean, maybe people didn't bow here. Why will they bow then, Brittany? His holiness, for the first time, we will see him as he is. And there will be a reverence and an awe just because of who he is, his character. Not because of what we learned of his character, but what we then, in that instant, will observe of just who he is. Well, as a Christian, let me connect that now. Okay, that's going to be everybody who's ever lived. One day, just because God is worthy of that all and that reverence. But he says, now, Christians, here's what you're doing in this lifetime of your exile. Until you go to heaven, I want you to have a life that more and more is in reverence, is showing and reflecting this all and this reverence of God. So one day, everybody's going to do it. But right now, as your exiles, you be growing in this. So how do we grow in this? Now, one of the things in, in the SV, it uses the word fear. I've used the word reverence because I think when we, I'm not afraid of the word fear, no pun intended. It, I just think when we hear fear, we do hear scared fear. I, th- I think we always have this kind of natural thing, fear, fear of snakes, fear of the dark, fear of whatever, okay? And so we kind of almost instantly get into this fear of God, like, okay, we should shudder away from God. And there is a measure of that. But really, maybe in our mindset, since we kind of cloud this word fear, this word reverend, even though we don't use it a lot, is really maybe one that's more descriptive of how you and I are called to respond to God, this holy God. That if we're really followers of Christ, that more and more we're going to be growing more in awe, more in fear of him, more reverent before him. Now, the reason I want to point that out is because you, you have passages like Hebrews 4.16 that they say, okay, man, we are to approach the throne confidently before God. We can come to the throne of grace. Why? Because it's built upon what Christ has done. He's established an open door. We didn't open the doors of heaven. Christ opened the doors of heaven. And so now we can go into the throne room of God, not because we're good people, not because we're getting better and better and better, hopefully, or more growing. No, because it's all predicated on what Christ has already accomplished. It's always going to come back to that. It's always going to be the foundation. And yet, here's the assumption that Peter is making. As we grow in Christ, as we follow Christ more and more and more, that one of the parts of us that's going to change is our mind and our hearts. 
in all of God. You know, sometimes I think, especially if we came to Christ early in our lives, have you ever had a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, eight-year-old remind you of really good theology? Well, my God can do anything. You know, here you are, you're the adult, you've weighed the odds, and you're going, you're kind of pessimistic about this outcome. And then you have your child come up, six, seven, and eight years old. Well, Mommy, we prayed about it, and God can do it. That's pretty good theology, okay, guys? And yet, as we get older, how many of you have become more cynical in, in general as you age? Not so much cynical toward God, but just cynical in life. Well, man, I prayed about that before and nothing happened, and so, you know, am I going to pray again? No. This call is for us more and more to realize that God is both judge. Notice how he says that he judges. One day that we will face two judgments as Christians. One is the judgment of sin, and because Christ has saved us, if you're a Christian, that judgment, I don't know how it happens, but he either stands up in our place or it really does show that we have no sin because all of our sin has been placed on Christ and all of his righteousness has been placed on us. But we will stand for every word that we've said and all the acts that we've done and all these different things, even as a Christian. And so Peter's going, okay, look, one thing I want you to do to kind of prime you for this judgment coming one day is just live a life that's more and more in all of God. See him as he is. Romans 8.15 says that we should not have a spirit of fear. But really, that's Abba Father. So here's the call of the New Testament Christian. In the fullness of both these, 100% of both of these, not 50-50, but 100%, just kind of like, God has called you into 100% reverent fear in all of him, but also 100% intimacy of the relationship that you can call him Daddy, that you can call him Abba Father. It's not all of one and nothing of the other. Somehow, in the miraculous way of God, he says, okay, man, you are my child. You can call me Abba Father, but I'm also the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and I am the one and only God. Well, why that's really good, we saw that in Joseph, guys. We saw that in the story of Joseph. There's days I need to be reminded that the God I'm praying to is King of kings and Lord and Lord. He is the one and only God, and he can do anything. And then there's days I need to know that, man, Dad, I blew it today. And I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that you don't abandon me as a son just because I really messed up today. I need the intimacy of God and that relationship secured by Jesus Christ, but I also need to have those times when we just stand back in awe and wonder. You know, we sing this song today, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. Now, I know when you were singing it, you're going, yes, tomorrow I'm going to go out and raise my Ebenezer. How many of y'all know what an Ebenezer is? I love that song, but it is one of those, that's a pretty foreign concept. Dustin, what is an Ebenezer? Yeah, it's a monument. It's a, it's a memorial. It's a, a time, hey, this happened here, and I'm going to build this so that whenever I pass by this again, I can remember God did this. How many of you have ever journaled before? And in your journal, you know, now it's months later, and you look back in your journal one day, and you're going, ah, I forgot that God even answered that. I prayed this on December 14th, and now a year and a half later, he answered it this day. 
you built an Ebenezer. When you, when you put it in there in a way that was kind of chronicling, you were kind of putting down, you were building something that is, you could remember later on the greatness of God and how he answered that prayer. That we stand in awe of God and yet intimacy with God. That's really what it kind of comes out in verse 18 and 19. Peter points back to the relationship that was built on something that was so valuable. Look what it says, verse 18 and 19. Knowing that, what's the first word? I just said it. Knowing. Where does knowing happen? In your mind. Why do you not, how would this change, Ricky, if he said, feeling that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers? But what if he used feeling there, South, instead of knowing? Do feelings, I mean, I know knowledge can somewhat change, but what, what, what is more, you know, solid? Feelings are, are fact. Yeah. So notice he doesn't say, okay, your feeling is that, you know, God just loves you and you love God. And, you know, he's your best friend. And you're precious to him. I'm not belittling that. But guys, there's some days a feeling is not going to get you through the day. And all that's going to get you through the day is knowing that the battle is here. Oh, it filters down to here, but the battle is here. And so he says, very important, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He builds everything back on the finished work of Christ. So, man, treasure. Why do you stand in awe before God? Because he bought you with this great, incredible price. You probably didn't know or comprehend as great a salvation when you came, maybe especially if you came as a child to, to faith in, in early days. You just know you loved God. You understood that Christ died for your sins. And maybe in that faith of a child, childlike understanding of faith, but if you're 50 or 60 or 70 years old and you've been walking with God, I came to know Christ when I was 12. I'm 56 now. 44 years. I've been. God would expect growth over those 44 years, guys. And part of that understanding is this knowing more and more how precious this salvation is. I promise you that I could sing Amazing Grace when I was 7, 8, 9, even before salvation, and have a little bit of knowing. I could sing Amazing Grace when I was 13 or 14 and have some semblance of knowing. But I tell you guys, I'm 56 and I can sing Amazing Grace today. And I know it's Amazing Grace. Because the battle scars are there. The war wounds are there. God has been sufficient. His promises, all that he did in Christ has been sufficient. And so we just sing it differently. That's part of the knowledge of growing in a reverence for God. Second thing that he points to moving on, is a growing love for others. He said, I expect you to, to, to grow in your reverence for me, but I also expect you to grow in your love for others. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another, how? Earnestly from what? Pure. Okay, what is, why is he using the word earnest and pure there? is because this is not just us learning more of a moral code of how to get along with people. 
This is not. If, this is for all the old timers here. Okay, it takes us back to the Dale Carnegie years. If you're familiar with Dale Carnegie, it used to be a book that a lot of people would read in sales. If you're in sales, how to get along with people, how to influence and get along with people. It's a great book. Would suggest for anybody to go read it. And yet that's a skill to be learned. Hey, here's how you just become more sociable. Here's how you become more friendly. Here's how you can influence people by friendliness. And, and truly, there's some profit in that. But that is not what he's talking about here. He said, I don't want you to become more just this ability to show on the outside. Because he said, you know, that doesn't always filter all the way down to the heart. How, have you, how many of you have ever, you don't have to raise your hands on these, how many of you have ever been friendly for a less than godly purpose to your boss to your spouse to to somebody else that you wanted influence on their life and so you hey easier to get bees with honey than it is with vinegar I'm just going to be nice I'm just going to do those things that are right we've all done it before that's not what he's calling he says okay don't just be nice because now you're a Christian and Christians are supposed to be nicer people He said, no, I want you to have a sincere love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Sincere, earnest, and pure. The three words that he says there. And this is a growth that takes place. doesn't mean that before you came to Christ that you didn't like people. didn't mean that you didn't have some love for people. But naturally, we are drawn to love those who are lovely, are those that we agree with. And yet it is radical Christianity that says, now pray for your enemy. Pray for those that persecute you. Love those that really are against you. That's much more radical than just Dale Carnegie when friends influence people. And for this to happen, it it grows over time. I, I don't know that any of us woke up the day after we became a Christian and then immediately we loved our enemy. I don't know that 44 years into the walk that I have accomplished really loving my enemy. I hope I do a little bit more. Many of you heard about the tragic, the very tragic, the unthinkable uh, that happened in New York a week and a half ago. When their uh, government decided that they would allow late-term abortions. When they signed, there was an applause. There was people that were standing and applauding this terrible thing. And something ruled in my heart that time that I was kind of surprised about, to be real honest with you. Of course, a total disdain to, this is unthinkable. But instead of being mad at those people, This is from God. This isn't because Bobby's a really good person. I felt such a sadness for those people that were raising their hands. I'm going, oh my goodness, to be that off. Are you mad about the outcome? Yeah, but a sadness. Folks, that sadness is not because Bobby is a really good person. That sadness is because I truly believe as much as we have a God of wrath, there was a sadness over the lostness of these people. How can you even think this way? I think as we grow in Christ more and more, we're going to grow in this love for others. Uh, probably the, the best illustration 
of the transition that has to take place is, is in marriage. Up to marriage, for the most part, we have a very me mentality. And then we exchange these vows, we commit ourselves to, to marriage, to be husband and wife, and we go from me to we. And instantly, instantly, when, when you say that, and he says, I now pronounce you husband and wife, you are a we, aren't you? How many of you instantly began to think as a we? How many of you today are even thinking of a we? Isn't it hard? Isn't me always kind of screaming out? I've only been married for a long time. And yet, do, we, do you ever have me moments? I didn't ask you this before. Okay. <laughs> do I ever have me moments? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And yet we have a lot of we moments, and we have to learn more and more we moments. Does that make sense? There's a, there's a growth that happens there. Just because all of a sudden, now officially, were you husband and wife, the minute that that pastor or that officiant, whoever it was, said, you are now husband and wife, were you at that moment a we instead of a me? Yeah. And yet the mind took a while, and it's still taking time, to go from me to we. Here, that's the call. He says, man, I want you to love others. He said, it's not going to just happen overnight just because you became a Christian. doesn't mean automatically now you are always going to love others. But he said, no, more and more, this is the way I want you to think. More and more, this is the kind of thought process that goes on. Verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. What begins to change this mind? How do we change our mind? the truth of God's word. As we come into contact with God's word, he says, okay, this is living, just like the hope that he described before. And he said, it's abiding, it's timeless. This isn't going to kind of fluctuate with cultures and, and different things. He said, this is how you get this mindset of loving others, that you just stay in the word. And I promise you this, whether it is spiritual songs, music, that have grace-filled lyrics, or whether it's the Word of God, whether it's the devotion built upon the truth of God, the more that you put the Word of God and all these thoughts, the truth of God, into your heart, you will be more grace-giving. Because you will receive, you'll understand that you've been a recipient of grace. It's that same truth that we talk about all the time. It's hard to give grace if you are not a recipient of grace. Or at least in your mind, you're, you're not a recipient of grace. It's hard to give love, unconditional love, until you understand that you've been given unconditional love. And the minute we begin to grasp that, well, where do we begin to grasp that? In God's word, in God's truth. Third, a growing distance from our old nature. The Bible is kind of confusing here a little bit in one way. Because in one way, the old man, the old self has been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ Jesus lives in me. That's a theological truth. And yet, how many of you still have to contend on a daily basis with your old nature from time to time? And there's a part of me that wants to ask God, okay, I thought he was dead. <laughs> Most of the time when things are dead and they're in the grave, they kind of stay there. And yet this old man, we just sang it this morning, prone to wander, oh, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love. Man, I feel that, that way like three or four times a week. I mean, Seriously. Is that old nature. Not to leave God, 
But to go back to me instead of we, to go, to go back to, to where I, my thoughts and my wants and my desires are, are most important. So more and more, he says, as you grow more and more, you should, shouldn't become more of a moral person just by morality, even though it should take that eventual effect. You grow from this old nature. Where do we find that? Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. This is not meant to be a complete list. So if you can't find your weekly sin on here, don't think that, oh, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. This is a common theme throughout the New Testament writers. Paul described it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, put off the old self, put on the new self. Kind of a picture. Take off your old dirty clothes, put on clean clothes. We see this picture over and over again that we're putting off something and we're putting on now what we have in Christ Jesus. And so we're distancing ourselves more and more and more from this old nature. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about this renewing of your mind, the transformed mind. In our men's study on Sunday nights, uh, once a month, I invite all the guys to come over to the house. Uh, we've started a study that will probably take us through the year of Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Because in verse 9, almost for the, like the next 12, 13 verses, it just these verses say, okay, this is what it looks like. Here's marks of maturity. And so this past time that we met, we looked at Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold on to what is good. He's not saying, okay, if you do that, you become a Christian. He said, because you are a Christian, as you grow, more and more you do this. You have a genuine love. You begin to abhor, you get to, another word for hate, you hate evil, and you hold fast to those things that are good. This isn't the rope you climb that eventually, if you get all the way up this rope, that you become a Christian and you ring the bell, I'm a Christian now. No, because you are a Christian, more and more as you travel through life, as you go through life, this is what Christianity looks like in your heart, in your mind. God changes your longings. We all have longings. We've always had longings. Part of human thought and spirit and soul is to have a longing. Sometimes it's as superficial as a longing for food. I long for this. It's your favorite dish. Other times it's a person. I long to see that person. Other times it could be a place or an event. I long to go on a cruise and just get away from it all for a week. It can be all kinds of different things. We all have longings. Look what he says, verse 2. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may what? Grow up into salvation. Let me clarify that. He's not saying, okay, you're going to grow and grow and grow and grow and mature. Bing, you got to the top now. You just became a Christian. No, it's the same way that it says work out your salvation. Is that really saying, okay, you have to work for your salvation? No. It's saying when you're saved and you're going in maturity, you're just going to start doing this more and more. I would hope that every husband here, that if you took those vows and you made this commitment to be wedded to this wife, that more and more you get away from a me and you get into a we. It doesn't happen instantly, but more and more this is just what that should look like. And here he says, look, 
like infants, longing, they long for milk. That's why they cry at 11.30 or 1.30 or other ungodly hours. Because they're longing for milk. He said in the same way that a, a baby would long for this, he said as, as Christians, and this isn't really meaning baby Christians. This is just the first year of Christian. No, he says, like a Christian, he said, I want you to long like a baby does for spiritual milk. And we should just see more and more that we're saying no to the old nature. We're saying more yeses to the, to the new nature that God has given. That we're, our longings have changed. Authentic creation, and I'm closing. Authentic creation creates a new longing in our heart. And hopefully there's things in your life today that you can say, man, 10 years ago, I didn't have a longing for that. And I long for that now. At our last men's meeting, we were talking, and guys, you can probably relate, and it's all guys there. And we we're just being honest. It's a good time just being honest. I said, guys, you know, sometimes my wife is much more excited about church than I am. And every guy was going, it's not that I don't like church, and it's not that like I don't like church, church people, but... You know, I kind of have that independent spirit. I don't need church to be a Christian. I think every guy has thought that at some point in their life. Not in an offensive way, but just, you know. And one of the guys said, yeah, you know, yeah, I was a Christian. But he said, in these last three years, as I've grown more and more in the Word, I long more and more for the fellowship of other guys. I long more and more to, to go to church. He said, I realize church doesn't make me a Christian. But he said, just as I'm growing in Christ, I want fellowship. I want accountability. I want discipleship. I want other relationships with other people that are walking in faith. That's what this means. That as we grow, that there's a change in our longings. For the most part, guys, there's always going to be that independent streaker. I don't need this in order to be that. I get that. I really get that. And yet, when God authentically does a work in our lives, he begins to change some of those longings. And things that we didn't long for 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, for some of you, five years ago, the, the younger ones, you came to know Christ a couple of years ago, you're going, okay, my longings are different. And I would hope and pray that five years from now, 10 years from now, that your longings would be even that much more. More and more for the things of God. Not achieving for us Christianity, but because we are Christians. Does that make sense? Got to make sure that we always bury it back into what is already accomplished through Jesus Christ. This is not us climbing the pole, ringing the bell, because we. This isn't, you know, Christianity, uh, ninja Christianity, where you run the course and you finally get to the end. And if you made it through the whole ninja course, that you ring the bell and you're a Christian. It's, that's not it. Because Christ is in our heart, He's transforming our mind and heart. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I look at these marks and Father, I pray that we would understand that, that Father, you are a God who has given grace. That Father, we're all moving at different speeds and some are rapidly learning some of these things like how to love one another more authentically and others are, are lingering and, and tripping a little bit and finding it more difficult. Father, some of us have... have started really longing for spiritual things and others going, okay, my appetite isn't quite all spiritual all the time. Father, help us not to judge one another. Help us to comfort one another. Help us to, to, to hold each other accountable. For Father, these are, this is your word. 
Father, you said that, that when you come and save us, Father, that this will be the growth that begins to take place. And so, Father, we pray these uh, things are not just a checklist for us to see if we're moral people, but, Father, that we would say, okay, God, have you taken over this area of my life? Father, are you more and more showing me how to do these things that reflect your holiness, that reflect your goodness? We love you, Father, and we adore you. We pray that you will help us to grow. Until that day, Father, when the sky does open up, or that day that we take our last breath, whichever would come first, Father, we pray that we'd be growing in knowledge, grace, and truth. We love you, Father. And we pray this in in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.